Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Please turn your Bibles to Job chapter 16, if you would, please. Job chapter 16. A couple years ago, I was in this, uh, this focus group, and it was, it was really cool. It was really fun. Um, it was a, a big legal case, and I'm sworn to secrecy. I had to sign all the, the legal documents and all that. I wish I could say something and give my predictions, because this thing is going to supposedly come out. Big old corporate um, lawsuit. And uh, in this focus group, obviously, they... Uh, they put together a bit of a mock trial, and they have their, their lawyers and their pretend witnesses, and they, they put out the arguments and the cross-examination, and then, of course, they, they survey you as far as the effectiveness and, and, uh, and different things like that. And, of course, they want to tweak their, uh, uh, their strategy based upon what the focus group says and what they, what they think. Big, there are probably about 50 or 60 of us in there. And uh, like I said, it was, it was fascinating, and it was, uh, it was pretty fun as well. And so tonight, you're a bit of a focus group. Thank you, Pastor, for letting me preach. And uh, I do appreciate your, uh, your leadership, your, the, the privilege it is to stand behind this pulpit. Um, 2000, fall 2019, I preached my first mental health um, Sunday mental health seminar here. Um, and at the time, we had three services, and, and uh, um, I preached three different messages that I just packed in way too much into three different messages. And, and I go back and think about all those messages and just think, wow, what a train wreck. Thank you for having me back after all that. And then just the fact that I was able to schedule meetings after that, pretty much just from that meeting and people seeing it on social media, um, God filled up my, my 2020 schedule. It's just been amazing what he's done. But those three messages have just naturally, and they needed to, they needed to turn into six different, different messages. And just in the course of continued learning and things like that. I've added a couple more messages. And in doing these, uh, these mental health meetings, um, I, I'm now going back to different churches. Sometimes some of those churches I'm going back for a third time. And so I've got the challenge of, uh, of coming up with new material, so to speak. We know there's nothing new under the sun. And a lot of the pastors say, hey, just preach the same thing. We need the, uh, we could use the, the repetition. That, that's totally fine. And, and so now I think there's a church that I'm I'm, I'm preaching at sometime this year that I'm going back for the fourth time, and which is a blessing. I want to help as many people as, as I can. And so I'm experimenting on you with a, with a message that once again might be too much. All right. And, and so um, I have my insecurities. And those of you who are in my mental health uh, uh, community group, we meet first Tuesday of every month. If you'd like to join us this Tuesday at 630, um, we'd love to have you. And I've shared some of my, my insecurities with, with the group there. Um, but my insecurities come when I, when I just don't know. I have a, you might be like me, I just kind of assume what people are thinking, right? I have that gift of knowing what you're thinking, right? And, uh, and it's unfortunate. Um, and so if I, I'm secure in that if you come and talk to me and just say, hey, Jay, that stunk. I'm okay with that. I'm all right. As long as we can reason and logic, I honestly do want your feedback as my church family. And, uh, and if you just think, hey, man, that's just way too much. That's just... Um, overload, because this is certainly one of those messages 
that can be easily turned into a series. And I don't have the, um, I'm not able to like, oh, I'll, I'll preach it next week because I'm not preaching next week. So we've got to go through the whole thing. I promise I'll try not to, I won't be too long. I won't. But if, if it feels like it's rushed, there's a, there's a reason. And then we could just kind of look through it. And, uh, and those of you who preach and teach, you understand the feeling. Sometimes you preach and you've prepared and you've prayed up and I promise you that I have and you just feel like you laid an egg, right? And sometimes it kind of goes that way and that'll just kind of be my own focus group, right? Um, but that could be, that could be dangerous. That could be unwise. But, uh, but I do, I do value your, your feedback and, uh, and just, just what, what you think about it if you're, if you're comfortable uh, giving, giving that to me, all right? So, so you're my focus group. Um, I'm not going to pay you. Like, I got paid pretty well. And, and you're, not, you know, you're not legally bound to any secrecy, all right? All right, so we're going to look at Job chapter 16, a message I've entitled Miserable Comforters. Miserable Comforters. Now, those of you who are going through um, the, Bi the Bible reading program with us, um, it was kind of cool. I've never done it this way. I've read through the Bible in a year. I've done that before. It's been many years. It's, I'm just, honestly, normally I'm not a, a big fan of it myself. I like to go at my own pace. I, I like to read a chapter three or four times in one day if I, if I need to. But I really appreciated this um, our, our Bible program, and you could jump in at any time, which we're going through it chronologically. So it's just kind of weird, right? You started in Genesis, and then all of a sudden we're in Job, right? And I'm thinking, oh man, Job, Job has been a really hard read for me. In the time of my depression, I'm reading through Job, and I don't know why I chose to, just thinking I'm going to glean some type of wisdom. But I'm thinking, you know, I'm reading through Job, and you know, we know what's going on in the beginning, and it's terrible, the end it ends really well. And so praise the Lord, when you go into it like that, you at least have that comfort, all right? It, it takes out some of that tension that this is going to end pretty well. But when you're trying to dig through Job, and it's clear, God says that Job is perfect, I mean, he's mature, um, he, he eschews evil. Oh, this is God saying this about Job, and then he just kind of loses his marbles, right? I mean, he heard, and, and we know that Job wasn't just experiencing a bad day, right? It wasn't just a bad day. If we, just, if, if we were to give an analogy physically, he didn't just, it wasn't just a knee scrape, right? This was just a big, huge thing in Job's life. And we can see clearly as you study it that Job's friends are making it worse for him, right? Just making things worse. Now, they, they meant well. There's no doubt in my mind, it's clear in Scripture, that they meant well, but they were no doubt miserable comforters. I remember reading through this, especially in my time of depression, I was like, man, just leave him alone, man. Leave Job alone. He's, had an, he's going through enough, and here you are just making all these accusations. You don't know what's going on in his life. You don't know the, what, what heaven was talking about before all these things. Leave him alone. And I remember just being such a hard read for me. And I'll say I haven't read it again since then. I read my Bible. Don't get me wrong. All right? I, I read my Bible daily. But Job is one that I just kind of avoided since that time because it was just such a hard and difficult read. And so it was refreshing. So I'm thankful to have this Bible reading plan that took me into Job, a place that I wasn't comfortable going, going from Genesis into Job and then back into Genesis and then making our way through Leviticus, which I have not read. I'll just be honest. I haven't read Leviticus in, in a long time. I just not interested, right? And it's still not interesting, but it's all about being faithful to God, amen? Faithful to a commitment. And it's not all about me. It's all about, hey, what I can get out of it. It's about spending time with God, right? And there's a few things in Levit Leviticus that, is, that, are, that are interesting and they would be helpful, but some of it is just 
Leviticus, right? And you get done with it. And you get through Leviticus, and, and then all of a sudden you jump into um, Psalms, and then we're back in, you know, the Pentateuch. It's just great, and I encourage you, obviously, to, to read, your, read your Bible every day, whether you follow a plan or not. But in essence, I mean, I guess that's what's inspired this message. I was praying to God, all right? I got I to gotta give this one church. I'm thinking of, in particular, it's my fourth time there. I got to have something new here. And, and I've wanted to dig into these miserable comforters. And so there's a couple ways that we can look in this. Just a good counselor is going to, one of the things that they'll do is they'll examine your self-talk, right? I guess you'd even say a therapist, whatever, all right? And I know those words can, can have some weight depending on some of your, you know, your, your situation, your personal experience, but I want you to be careful about personal experience, right? And they'll examine your self-talk. We look at like a, a passage like Psalm 42, right? And, and David's obviously struggling with something deeply. And he says, um, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. And why art thou disquieted within me? He says, why am, I, why am I sunken? Why am I depressed? Why am I disquieted? Talking about this noise and commotion inside, speaking of anxiety, if you will. And why are those things happening? And so he's speaking to himself. And, and a lot of times we are our own miserable comforter. We tend to beat ourselves up. You know what I mean? I mean, think about how gracious we are to other people. We are really quick to offer grace to other people, right? Someone does something wrong, they apologize. Oh, no worries. We do something wrong, we kick ourselves while we're down, right? We beat ourselves up. And so it's really important to examine what we are saying to ourselves. Oftentimes, we are our own miserable comforter, right? But let's be careful. We all should strive to be good Christian friends. You don't have to have a degree or a certification to help someone who's hurting. Just be a good friend, right? Don't be a miserable comforter. Be truly a comforter, all right? And so let's, let's take a look. Let's dig into these miserable comforters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your goodness in our lives, and I thank you for the many stories that, that I know of in here, just in this room, of, of deep valleys, deep pain that you've brought people through, and really scary times that you've brought people in this room, you've brought them through, God. And I thank you for the comfort that you bring us through the Holy Spirit, but also through our church family, through our friends, and, and help us, God, to endeavor to be those kind of comforters for those who are in need, and help us to learn tonight. Give us wisdom. God, we love you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at Job chapter 16, verse number 2? Job's already kind of going back and forth with his friends a little bit. And he says this, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. He says, man, I have heard all of this before, right? It's just people just tend to repeat themselves. There's this Christianese that comes up. And, 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 and as I was going through my time of depression, I, I realized, I remember being so convicted and feeling so bad about these things, that these cliches that we throw at people and realizing, you know, I've said these things not really knowing what they meant and just being honest that I would say these different Christian cliches because I didn't know what else to say, right? Give it to God. Now, I, I get that. That sounds good. But I remember being in, in such deep pain that as people said that to me, I, I, I wondered, what does that actually mean? What am I supposed to do? What does give it to God mean? I'm trying to give it to God as, as best as I can. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to say to people, but what does it mean on a practical level? 
There, there are some things that we are to do as far as our healing and, and as, as far as getting victory over things. There's, I, I understand it's, it's not, the, the Christian life isn't just about doing things, but there's a component to that, right? If we're to grow in Christ, there are some things that we do. We don't just have intentions. We spend time with God, and we read the scriptures, and we memorize scripture, and we, we fill our hearts and our minds with good things, with good music and good content. There's things that we do in order to grow, in order to heal, right? And so what, what do we mean when, we're, when we, in a good sense, with a genuine heart of compassion, tell people different things? Like, that's just one example. That have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are y'all. Verse number three, shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. And Job saying, remember, hey, these guys are friends. They know each other. And he said, I've got some stories I can tell about you as well. Right? I love when I, when I end up preaching at a... Um, at a church, especially for a classmate from Bible college or whatever, and people just want, especially if they were in the dorm together, people wanted, do you have any stories, pastor? It's like, I do. I do. But he has stories about me. So in the dorm, we prayed, we read our Bibles, amen, memorized scripture, that's what we did, right? I mean, when you're friends, you know somebody, you've got, you know, you, you, you know stuff. You know the skeletons in the closet, right? And here's what Job is saying, I could, man, if this were you, I've got some stuff on you as well. I mean, he's just, man, he's just really starting to get riled up, right? I could do this. But verse number five, now that he's going through it, now that he's hurting, and those of you who know my testimony, you, you understand when I was, you know when I was a youth pastor on a, on a missions trip, one, one of my, our young men, one of the best Christians I've ever known drowned in a tragic ass, accident on a missions trip, and I just couldn't stop being sad about it. Just couldn't stop being sad. Eventually started having panic attacks. It was terrible. It's awful time in my life. And now on this side of it, man, there's stuff I know I'm careful not to say. I don't want to be a miserable comforter. And so he changes his tune. It's like it's so drastically he catches himself. Yeah, I got some, I can say some stuff. Verse number five, but I would, I would strengthen you with my mouth. But this is what I would do for you. I would so, I would try my best to strengthen you. Isn't that good? Isn't that what friends should do? When we're hurting, when we're struggling with something, let's just be careful. Let's not make it worse. And so he's going through this. He said, if, if you were going through it, I would strengthen you. I would do my best. And the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Is it, and anything that I'd say, it would be with the intention to try my best to take away some of the pain. Some little bit of the pain, and we all go through some really intense things that obviously that no word can take everything away, but you've been around just sweet Christians that just say the right thing, and it's not much, or maybe they don't say anything, but it just, it's a little drop of comfort, right? Just a little drop of hope, right? And so let's not think, let's not feel the pressure to give all the answers because we don't have them. To bring all the healing in one meeting, because that just not, it's not going to happen. Even when I go in and do a mental health Sunday, I, I've, got, I've got two or three seminars I can do, and there's no way, you know, there's, there's no way we're going to hit everybody's um, root issues and fix everybody, but maybe 
in that conversation over coffee or, or, or just a visit at home or a visit in the hospital, we can, as a good Christian friend, just provide a little drop of encouragement and hope just to assuage the grief, even just a little bit, right? But at least, let's not make it worse. Go to Psalm 42. And I know I'm going to have you jumping around a little bit, all right? Psalm 42. All right, so we go to the end. Right, so we know the beginning. It's, you know, it's, man, we're going to jump over back to the beginning. It's kind of like those of you who've been in Bible college, my, my least favorite classes were survey of whatever, Old Testament survey, right? New Testament survey, meaning you are just going blah, 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 right through it and you're just basically hitting highlights and you can't dig in to those things, all right? So we're going to take a little survey through these, through these miserable comforters. Psalm 42, here we are at the end. Job has been corrected by God, amen? Isn't that a good thing, when God corrects us? All right, so Job had some hard questions for God. But he, he asked them, and he was honest, and that's okay. And one, one big takeaway for me and Job is, is that God can handle our hard questions. He knows what we're thinking anyway, just ask him. He's our father, he's our Abba, he's daddy. Be honest with God, just talk to him freely, and Job did. Job did, and God still blessed him for it. He did have to be corrected as only God can, right? And even with all these hard questions, right? Like, well, look, look at verse number one, chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful, me, for, wonderful for me, which I knew not. Now Job has finally come around and realizing, God, you can do whatever you want. And there are going to be times in my life that you're going to do things that are too wonderful for me. That there's, they, I, I can't explain them. Humanly speaking, there will be things that God does or allows in our life that, humanly speaking, don't make sense, right? And so there's an acknowledgement of that, and that's okay. Because human, you were humans, and so there's no way we can grasp God and His ways. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Verse number four. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. He says, in essence, he's saying, I'll, I'll question you, God. Hmm. It's okay. I will ask you questions. I will wonder. It's okay to ask God why. You're not in sin. You're not. You may not get the answer, and that's the challenge there. We may ask God why and not get the answer, and being at peace with that can be a challenge. You're human. We're human. Right? But let God, let God bring his comfort. Verse number five, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And verse number seven, it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, so that's one of Job's friends, we're going to take a look at him, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. Never does it say that about Job. God is not angry with Job. You won't see that wording for Job. God's wrath is kindled. And we see that just a few times in Scripture, where God is that mad at his people. Now remember, these friends... Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, they came genuinely, all right? They did. 
They came genuinely to help, but still be careful. Just because our intentions are good doesn't mean it wipes away completely wrongs that we do. Well, I meant well. You meant well, but maybe you need to educate yourself in the scriptures, how to use the scriptures properly, right? Continue on there, verse number seven. My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Why was God's wrath kindled? It's right there. Because you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. What happened? These three guys, well-meaning, they misrepresented God. That's a big deal. Doesn't matter if your intentions are great. Doesn't matter who you want to help, but if you, if we misrepresent God, wow, got some strong language. His anger was kindled. Now, would you go to Job chapter four? All right, we're going to take a look through some of these friends. But here's a scenario. You know, you know the, you know the story. I, I know, I know you do. But sometime after the angelic rebellion. You could read that on your own time in Job chapter 1. We get this sense that these fallen angels, the sons of God, had access into heaven. And if you, we could, you could, we could debate that if you have questions. I don't know what that all means, but if you think that that's just not so, we could debate that. You could look at that in Job chapter 1. But what I see there is they have access into heaven. And, and it says to present themselves before the Lord. Interesting. I don't know what that means. Well, what are they presenting to the Lord? I have no idea. Now, we don't know how the conversation went between these fallen angels and very specifically Satan, but God is the one who brings up Job. It's God. Now, now remember, the Bible does say that Satan is the accuser of the saints, right? Maybe they're coming to accuse the saints, but, but in this story, it's very clear. God is the one who brought up Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? God's the one that brought him. I mean, this is how wonderful of a man he is. God's just bragging on him. All right, so they come up and have access into the throne room of heaven or whatever, and they have this conversation. God says, man, look at Job. And it's God who says these wonderful things about him. He's perfect, being spiritually mature. He eschews evil, all that. He's upright. He's a good man. And Satan is skeptical. He says, man, maybe he didn't say man. <laughs> he says, if, if you, he, he doesn't fear you for no reason. I mean, that guy, he's rich. He's rich. He's got stuff. He's got a family. He's got a wife. You take that away from him, he will curse you to his face. And God says, oh, really? And God wanted to glorify himself in really an unspeakable way. And he says, okay, we'll have Adam. Who would volunteer for that one? Right? I mean, maybe we would, not if we didn't know what that entailed. But since we know that story, I don't think any of us says, God, yeah, let me, use me. Use me for this. Let, let's, let's, let's have you glorified in this, right? But God does something that, humanly speaking, is unspeakable just to show himself off. Amen? He's, he's, he's worthy of that kind of glory. And that's what's happening. And, and all of a sudden, Job loses his health, which is hard. And he loses his business. And that's hard. Then he loses his, his family. He loses his children. Tragically. Then in essence, he lost, he lost his wife. She didn't die, but 
Things were so bad that Job's wife said, just why are, you, why are you keeping your integrity? Just curse God. Hopefully he'll kill you, right? I mean, things are that bad. Now remember, Job's wife, she's speaking out of pain. She lost everything. She lost her kids too, right? Not be too hard on Job's wife, but this is what Job is going through. And Job has these three friends. They hear about what's happening. And so they come at the end of chapter two, it says they come. Their intention was to mourn with him and to comfort him. That was in their heart. And then when they came on the scene, even from afar off, they looked at Job and they could hardly they couldn't hardly recognize him just physically. He was just so he was so destroyed. He was just so wrecked physically. And I'm sure his demeanor, a man who's probably normally joyful and 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 upright, as the Bible said, they're looking at a man who's totally broken and wrecked and they could not recognize him. And they were so heartbroken that they wept aloud, they cried aloud, and they rent their clothes, and they went through the mourn, their own mourning process because they felt so badly for their friend. They did care for him. They did love him. So, you know, these miserable three, they got a couple things right at the end of chapter two. First, they were just present. They were there. They came from some distance, all three of them, just to be there with him. The Bible says they sat for seven days, didn't say a word, just to be there. I can't believe it's almost, it's over 20 years ago that my mom went to heaven. She was 54 years old when she died of cancer. And uh, she was a wonder, you, wonderful woman, wonderful godly woman, just such joy. And everyone loved her, everyone loved to be around her. And, and I remember, um, the, uh, the funeral was really a joyous time knowing she was in heaven, but people came from all over, right? And you've probably, you've probably experienced this, just people coming in, and maybe they only met my mom once or twice or three times and, or what have you, but they came. And that meant so much to me and my sisters, right? Just that they would be there. They weren't coming for my mom. My mom's in eternity and enjoying Jesus and enjoying heaven, right? They weren't coming for her. I mean, once someone dies, their, their eternity is set, right? And, and praise God, when a, when a believer enters into the presence of the Lord, that, that certainly is a precious thing. But so people, they didn't come for my mom's sake. They came for me and my sisters and my dad. And it was wonderful. It was just so touching that they would be there. And so sometimes, I mean, it could be so intimidating, I understand, to be around people who are hurting. That's intimidating because you don't know what to say. You don't, don't want to say the wrong thing. You just kind of don't know what to do with them. And I, I remember getting, feeling that. I was just hurt, so hurting and just, you know, I know you don't know what to say to people like me sometimes. I get it. You don't have to say anything, right? Just be there. So they were present. And also they mourned with him. They did. Now, now we could, that, that's a whole, that could be a whole message there. Blessed are they, they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? Mourning is an important part of the grieving process. Grieving allows us to accept what's real, right? And when we accept what's real, then we can move on. It's, it's a gift. Grieving is a gift from God, and that's why God requires it. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so when people will grieve in their own way, 
And, and it's a messy process. We, 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 I think we sometimes think that the, the grieving process is this linear thing where we go, you go from sadness to anger to questioning and just, but grieving isn't like, grieving is more like this, right? It's kind of like dance moves, right? Okay, it's just, it's just an ugly, messy process, right? And what a joy or what a help it is when you don't have to grieve by yourself. And honestly, it's a comfort when people will just grieve with you. They'll cry with you, right? They'll just sit with you. And so they did get a couple things right. Seven days of silence. And then in, in, in Job chapter 3, when we're, they're going through this whole process of grieving, and the, the Jews, the people of God, they had this whole process. They made a big deal of it. It was a big deal to God, right? They rent their clothes. There's ashes. There's just stuff, right? Wailing. It's a big deal. And then Job just starts to talk, just real. Job chapter 3, and... The essence of Job chapter 3 is like, why, am I even, why was I even born? That's what he's saying in Job. Why? It says, I, I, I wish I didn't have to be alive. And there's, there's no talk of him saying, I wish I could take my own life. He just said, God, why? why? Why keep me alive? Right? I'm just hurting so much. He's, he's just like, doesn't under, can't find a reason to live at this point. And sometimes that's part of the process as well. Right? What is my reason to live? And, and then we realize, no, it wasn't that person, no matter how important they were to you, that's he or she was, isn't my reason for living. It's, it's him, right? But sometimes it's a messy process getting there that he ultimately is my reason for living. And I have to process a lot of emotions to get there. And so that's what's happening in Job chapter 3 where he just talks real. It's like, why? Why couldn't I have been stillborn? I mean, he's just talking all this stuff. And then in Job chapter 4, we find the first miserable comforter, man by the name of Eliphaz. And he says this in essence. He says this, I can judge your character by your circumstances. I can judge your character by your circumstances. Would you look at Job chapter 4, verse number 1? Right? Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? He said, man, we've got, somebody's got to say something about this. Here's Job, remember, he's speaking out of pain. Uh, he just he wonders why he was even born. He says, man, somebody's got to speak up against this. Let's, hey, slow down. Maybe not, right? Maybe, maybe someone just needs to be heard, all right? Verse number three, behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. This is something that really hurt me. Because as being in ministry, being a youth pastor for 18 years, and just working with people, parents, just working with people, helping people who are hurting, and trying to bring comfort. And I find myself suddenly in this place where I can't comfort myself. And my whole ministry is teaching people, and I can't teach myself. And of course, that's heaping on, I'm feeling bad, I'm feeling like a loser as it is. Here I'm a man of God, right? It's not, it's like, I'm not just some rookie or, or some, some newbie at this thing. I've been at it for almost 20 years, and I, I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can't encourage myself. I can't find the right verse to, to get me out of this thing. And here is Eliphaz saying the same thing that I said to myself. It's like, hold on, you comforted people, and now you can't comfort yourself? You taught people, and now you can't teach yourself? Come on, let's not pile on to the guy that's hurting, right? Verse number four, thy words have upholden him that was falling, 
and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees, but now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. Would you please remember that servants of God, pastors, what have you, they're still human beings. They're people. Preachers aren't supernatural heroes. They're humans, and they hurt as well. And sometimes they go through stuff that confuses or frustrates us as well. And it's unfair to put that kind of pressure on preachers who are, in essence, and quite literally, human beings also, right? Here's Eliphaz just piling onto this guy who he already knows. Man, I should be able to help myself, but I can't. I can't in this space. Verse number six Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. Now, come on, Eliphaz. Whoever perished being innocent? Really? The innocent never die? Or where were the righteous cut off? Now, Eliphaz is just showing his ignorance. Right? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. All right, so now he's taking his personal experience. It's like, I've seen the wicked... And I know what happens to him. And so what is he saying? So I can see your circumstances, and because this is what I've seen in that guy, this is what I've seen in that crowd, I know what happens to bad people, because this is what I've seen, I know this is what's happening to you. And because of your circumstances, I can judge your character wrong. Absolutely wrong. You can't judge anybody's character by their circumstances. You can't. So let's be careful. Somebody has car problems. Oh, they're not tithing. Amen. Someone has kidney stones. Oh, they're, they're, they're in sin, right? You don't know that, right? You don't know that. Years ago, I, th- I believe I've shared this story. A young man in our, the church that we had, were ministering in had come back from Afghanistan or, or Iraq. He was a combat, combat soldier. And he'd seen some... some some bad stuff, some intense stuff. And we're playing volleyball on Sunday night after service. And, and uh, we're just having a good time. All of a sudden, a motorcycle drives through the parking lot and backfires. It's explosion, right? He hits the ground. He hits the ground. Now, the rest of us, for us, we hear that right away. I mean, the only context we have for that is automotive backfire. But this young man had some different memory markers in his brain. And not a one of us can judge his walk with God based upon that moment. He's got different stuff than you've got. He's got different stuff than I've got. Of course, I remember none of us knew what to do. He just kind of got up sheepishly, still picture it, just sheepishly dusted himself off. And and I think the rest of us just kind of wanted to pretend like it didn't happen. It was so awkward. Of course, I wish now I just would have walked up to him and put my arm around him, right? And said, man, you saw some bad stuff, didn't you? Right? So we can't judge people by their circumstances. We don't know what God is doing. You go, go to Job chapter 8. Let me show you another friend. In Job chapter 8, there's a guy named Bildad. All right, so we see Eliphaz. Here's his wisdom. I can judge your character by your circumstances. Right? I've seen this before. And Bildad says this, in essence, I know how God works. Every time, in every circumstance. 
says, I know how God works every time and in every circumstance. Job chapter 8, verse number 3. The Bible says there, Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldest seek unto... I mean, think about what he's saying. I mean, his, his, his kids died in a tragic accident, and he's saying, hey, could it be that if, you, if, you're, if your children sinned, then they deserved it, in essence, right? How, how awful. If thy children have sinned against him, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of, the right, of thy righteousness prosperous. It's like, this is how things work. Kids sin, they die. Right? If you call out to God, he will pull you out of this. This is how it works every single time in every single circumstance. Now, here's the problem. One of the problems that Bildad had, he wasn't in heaven to hear God and Satan talk. He wasn't privy, privy to a really important heavenly conversation. And I'm not saying it works, obviously. It doesn't work like that anymore. I don't know if God has a conversation with somebody else in heaven and says, you know what? Let's do something with Marquise that's going to be really hard. But I'm going to be glorified in this thing. So this is what we're going to do. God probably doesn't have a conversation with anybody anymore. But God certainly has a plan. And we're not aware of those plans. And so... It could be that God worked in your life this way and in this circumstance, but it might look very different for somebody else, right? For some people, hey, some people can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I couldn't. I got to a place where I just couldn't. I needed help, and that's okay. It's okay if you need help. It's biblical, right? There's a, there's a concept in Scripture, a burden bearing. You study it in Galatians chapter 6 and other places. You, you study the one another is in the New Testament. One, you just look up one another and one to another, and you'll see how scriptural it is that we need one another. God did not design us to live in isolation. God designed us to live in community, in strong relationships, right? We could take religion out of it. We could take scripture out of it. And, and, and therapists and psychologists will say one of the strongest uh, things against depression and anxiety are strong relationships. Why? Because that's how God designed us, to have strong relationships, right? And so for me, you, maybe you hear my story and you feel like, man, I could, I, I could understand that's really sad, but man, I, I don't think I would have fallen into four years of depression and have... Anxiety and panic attacks? Maybe not. Fair enough. It's fine. But, we, you know, we all carry baggage. We do. And I'd be very honest with you if you want to ask me, well, what did you carry into that? I carried some stuff. We all carry different baggage because we all come from different upbringings. Your family of origin is different than mine, right? You may have past trauma that I don't have. And so this stuff that we carry into these deeply intense seasons in life all of us carry something, right? And so that's why some of us, we react differently. And some circumstances will knock others down for a longer period of time. And maybe you go through something and you hear one sermon that picks you up, or you hear one song, or one revival meeting, or one Bible verse that just, that, that just gives you victory over the depression. 
And praise God for it. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but for a lot of us, it's a process. And it takes, it takes some help. It takes some, some counsel. It takes some time to heal. And so let's be careful to think, okay, well, this is how it worked in my life. This is what I've seen. And so since it's not happening for you, you must be in sin. I know how God works every time and in every circumstance. No, Bildad, you have no idea the conversation that happened in heaven and what God was doing, what he wanted to do. And then there's a man by the name of Zophar. We look at Job 11. Job 11. Okay, Zophar. Zophar says, and I had a little bit of trouble finding a point for this, but I'm a Baptist. I need three points in a poem. Couldn't find a poem, but I have four points. But anyway, I needed something for Zophar. I kept reading this over and over again, and this is the best I can do. But I think it's, I think it works. Zophar. He says this, I will help you by repeating what everyone else has already said, only meaner. I was going to repeat what everybody said, but I am going to, I'm going to pile on. He's intense, Zophar is. Now, in these back and forths, you notice with, with Eliphaz and Bildad, they have three speeches, all right? Three speeches and the back and forth, and then, and then, and then Job answers them. Zophar is so intense, he gets her done in two speeches, all right? I mean, that's how intense he is. He gets two shots at him, throws everything he can at him, just to give you one example, all right? Job chapter 11, verse number 6. And that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are, this is not the right verse. Let's see. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I don't know if it is. Job 11, is that right? I feel like that. No? Okay, Job 11, verse 6. And that he, he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. You know what Zophar is saying? You deserve more than this. What? He lost his health. His children died. He lost his business. He lost his wife. And Zophar is saying, you deserve more than that. Wow. Just one example of sometimes, since we don't know what to say, we just kind of repeat with some of what, what we've heard. And sometimes we think that, you know, if somebody is just being stubborn, that we have to say it in a more firm way or whatever, or just a more intense way, and, and that'll be the way that gets into their heart if we just up the intensity, right? No. No. It's sometimes people just need compassion and not convicting. Sometimes they do. Sometimes we need convicting, right? We need to be held accountable. I'm not, I'm not against that. Some, that's sometimes absolute truth. Let's remember, we don't know the conversations in essence of what's going on in heaven. And he said, I'm just going to repeat everything. I'm going to repeat it, but I'm just going to make it meaner. And we're going we're gonna to drive this home. And then lastly, one good friend. Let's just do this very quickly. Elihu. He said, this can be a whole message. Elihu, the good friend. In essence, he says this. God is always good. God is always right. He's amazing. God is always good. God is always right. He's amazing. That's in essence. But there were a few things. There's a few things he said. Would you look at chapter 32, verse number 2? promise I'm finishing it up here. Rounding third base. And try to get a inside the park home run. And I'm not saying this is a home run. I just try to get a ground rule double here. All right. 
Job chapter 32, verse number 2. He says this, the Bible says, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Bereshel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram, against Job was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. All right, so Elihu, was a, he was a younger man, and I, and I appreciate, as you read the story, there's the humility. He, he, he let everybody else speak, knowing that he was the younger one, and took it all, fi- uh, took it all in, and, and considered, uh, considered everything. And, and now, now young people, don't, don't, uh, uh, let's not discount the wisdom that can come from people who are younger than us, right? And we're seeing it here. Remember, God condemned the three guys, not Elihu. And Elihu was mad. He was mad at Job because there was one thing that Job did wrong is that he justified himself rather than God. Remember why God um, condemned the three friends? Because they misrepresented him. Don't do that. No matter what our intentions are, do not misrepresent God. And so God was being misrepresented, and Job, just in his pain, went inward and he justified himself rather than God. In essence, he defended himself and did not defend God. Now, these three friends were making God look really bad, but Job turned inward and was just so concerned about how bad he looked at it. Now, I get that. I understand. When I, when I resigned, I resigned from the ministry. I'd worked in a church for 22 years, and I felt like depression just beat me, couldn't go on. And remember, there, there was just this natural part of me. It's like, what do people think of me? And it all kind of kept secret and everything. And I know because of this stigma, and I, it's, it's something I don't care about anymore, and I'm trying to do my part to, to break that stigma. It's okay if you're not okay, but you don't have to stay there, all right? And as a church family, we should love you through it, right? We'll try our best to guide you and just love you through some deep pain, right? But I, I remember just the sensation. What are people going to think? I just, of course, and I think this is understandable. I didn't want people to think I, I had uh, disqualified myself from ministry because everything was so hush-hush, Right? But let's be careful not to turn so inward that we forget about how God looks in all of this. And God's wrath was kindled against the three friends because they were misrepresenting him. And all Job could think about was, how bad do I look? He said, hold on, I haven't done anything wrong. Right? And, and, and Elihu, he's just getting the sense, he's just waiting for Job to defend God, not just himself. And that's why his wrath was kindled against Job. He says, come on, Job, stand up for God. Not just yourself. Let's always be intensely concerned about how good God looks in and through our circumstances. Let's be good ambassadors for him, even as we hurt. In defending himself, he forgot to defend God. Verse number three, also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had, no, they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. They had no idea what was going on, but still felt the need to condemn him. The Bible calls that foolish. If we answer a matter without hearing it, it's foolish. They had no answer. They just felt the need to condemn him anyway. So his wrath was kindled against him. But he does go on with a few really important things. And we end here with two more verses. Would you look at chapter 36? Chapter 36, verse number 26. And you could, you could just look, study Elihu's speech, so to speak. In chapters 32 through 37, it is pretty amazing, the wisdom. We don't know how young he was. Maybe he wasn't super young. He was younger than them. But the wisdom he had in it. In in chapter 36, he says, Behold, God is great. (laughs) We know him not. We can't fully understand him. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. Everything that God has done, we can't search that out. 
And we just imagine, try to imagine the scope of the universe and all that God has done. It's amazing. He's great. Look at chapter 37, verse number 14. Here's the last verse. Chapter 37, verse number 14. He says, hearken unto this, O Job. Stand still. Consider the wondrous works of God. Here's a pretty good friend. Just said, I, I know this is hard. But let's make, let's make God look good in this. Let's make sure God looks good. Right? He's amazing. He's always good. He's always right. And if we would just, let's just stop and let's just think about the wondrous works of God. Hey, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to. Just be there. Just be there. It'll be a little drop of comfort, I promise. You won't take it all away, but it's a little drop. Right? But if we're going to say anything, let's just talk about how good God is. All of his wondrous works. Miserable comforters, let's seek to help and not hurt and always make God look good. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.